Good morning. It is so, so good to be back with you. Before we, um, before we go to God's Word together, I just need to say some things. Um, first, I want to give you greetings from some of our sister pillar network churches that we were able to visit during our time on sabbatical. Um, Grace Church in Miami, Florida, and Reformation Christian Fellowship here in Newport News, and Fox Hill Road Baptist Church in Hampton, uh, and even got to tune in to Pocosin Baptist Church uh, last Sunday somewhere on the road from Mississippi. Uh, but our kids this morning said to me, one of them, Daddy, can we please go to our church? And we are so happy to be back with you. I want to give uh, my gratitude to the staff, the elders, countless volunteers who worked so hard, our deacons worked so hard to maintain the life and health of PBC during our sabbatical. Uh, it truly was a wonderful, restful time uh, for our family, and uh, we, we were just so grateful for that time to be able to focus on each other uh, and... Um, Absence certainly made our hearts grow fonder for you. I also want to give my thanks to all of you who have uh, reached out to us by email, by text, by phone call, by card, by visits, uh, to express your love and support to me and my family after the loss of my sister. Uh, I am so happy to be a part of this faith family. You all have loved us and served us and cared for us so, so, so well. And we thank you. Our hearts uh, were heavy coming back from Mississippi after the funeral, uh, and yet also full, full of hope, full of joy, uh, not only for some of the, the good things that God did with a time with our family, but also filled with joy knowing we were coming back to be with you. And so I'm so grateful for you and just so eager uh, to see what the Lord will do in this next season. I'm told, uh, I think the policy that the elders crafted uh, allows for uh, a, some sort of a sabbatical, I think, every five years. So what's God going to do in the next five years at PBC? And I'm just eager and excited uh, to see what God will do and rejoice in what He has done and is doing through this church. I'm glad that some things haven't changed. You know, when we were gone, we were popping all sorts of balloons out of the sky, but we still got that one right up there. It's still there, and I'm just happy about that. And some of you didn't even know it until now. You're welcome. I hope that helps and serves you today as you try to focus on this. Uh, let us go to God's Word now. If you're not already there, look at Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 in your Bibles. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever looked for a place to eat and found something that seemed too good to be true? Like, there's no way this place can be that good. Citizens of Montreal, Canada recently experienced that phenomenon when looking up reviews for a restaurant called Le Nouveau Duluth. For a time, it was the number one restaurant on TripAdvisor in all of Montreal, boasting nothing but five-star reviews. Le Nouveau Duluth promised to, promised to serve delicious breakfast, lunch, dinner, brunch, and after-hour drinks 24 hours a day. It offered delivery, takeout, reservations, outdoor seating, buffet, private dining, as well as television and table service. At Le Nouveau Duluth, diners could anticipate enjoying live music, a drive through playgrounds, and a beach. You'd find wheelchair accessibility, high chairs for the kids, and free Wi-Fi, along with a place that was both dog-friendly and family-style. You could count on validated parking, valet parking, free off-street parking, 
as well as a dining establishment that accepted all major credit cards and digital payments, but was also cash only. Now, if all that sounds just a little bit too good to be true, that's because it was. The highest reviewed restaurant in a city of nearly two million people never existed. It was entirely made up by a local comedian who is trying to issue some sort of a social commentary on the unreliability of social media. Well, this morning, in God's Word, we come upon a crowd of people eating dinner and a story that, if we're honest, seems almost too good to be true. This is no doubt a popular story. It's been depicted countless times on television, in film, on stained glass windows, in t tons of paintings, and children's Bible storybooks. This story has been retold millions of times in Sunday school classes with felt characters, in pulpits, in churches all across the world, and at the family dinner table of Christian homes. This is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is recorded in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of them tells us this story. But because it seems almost too good to be true, countless attempts have been made to redefine its meaning. Some have said what actually happened in this story wasn't a miracle at all. In fact, Jesus receives the bread and the fishes and shares it with some people, and that inspired everybody else to just share what they had until enough food was somehow found to feed 5,000 men plus women and children and have 12 baskets left over. Others have said, well, this really isn't meant to be a true story at all. It's just a parable about how we can accomplish anything if we just set our minds to it. But when you read this story, it's obvious that those who wrote it believed it was true. For one thing, they're writing about real historical places. Bethsaida, Sea of Galilee. They're not writing about Gotham City or Mordor. They're writing about real food, bread and fishes. This isn't limbus bread or butterbeer. They're avoiding the fantastical details that you or I might be interested in, like, how did Jesus do it? They don't really tell us how He did it. Something you would certainly include, if you made this story up, you would come up with something. But these disciples probably just told us all that they understood, simply what happened. This story might be too good to be understood, but it's not too good to be true. You're here in this room as a follower of Jesus, you undoubtedly believe this story is true, and you take it at face value. But our goal this morning is to do more than merely contend for the truthfulness of this story. I want you to see the glorious Jesus who's the point of this story. My, my heart, my desire this morning is to show you something good and beautiful and true about Jesus from this story. Here's the big idea I hope you'll get from this story this morning. In one sentence, here it is. Nothing can stop Jesus when He chooses to show compassion to the needy. Nothing can stop Jesus when He chooses to show compassion to the needy. That's what we see in our story. I want to show you two examples of that in our story. And yes, after all this time out of the pulpit, I only have two points. I thought maybe I'd get to preach a second sermon tonight, but Bubba looked right at me when he said, no teaching or preaching or talking tonight. By the way, if you're not making plans to come tonight, I hope you will, just so I can spend time with you. All right, two examples how Jesus 
can, he will stop at nothing. Nothing can stop him when he chooses to show compassion to the needy. Example number one, Jesus shows compassion when it's humanly inconvenient. Jesus shows compassion when it's humanly inconvenient. Maybe that's a weird phrase for you, humanly inconvenient. We don't really say that. We just say inconvenient, right? Why say humanly inconvenient? Because by definition, God is not inconvenienced. Think about that for a second. Just think about that. Your life, my life, is filled with inconvenience. God does not experience inconvenience. Nothing ever happens outside of the counsel of His will, Ephesians 1 tells us. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Everything happens precisely when He means for it to. Nothing is late or early. Nothing catches Him by surprise. Everything is exactly as He ordains it. God does not experience inconvenience, but the God-man does. Think about that for a second. Think about Jesus who existed in eternity past in a world without inconvenience, choosing to enter human skin and experience for the first time what it means to be inconvenienced. You say, well, where is Jesus being inconvenienced in our story? Look at verse 13. Matthew 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. The first question we need to ask is, when Jesus heard what? If you go back to the passage immediately prior, you'll see that what He hears is the news about the death of John the Baptist. Jason preached on that last Sunday. We saw the story of how John the Baptist was beheaded by a wicked king, Herod. And Jesus hears the news eventually. And what does He do? The text tells us that He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by Himself. Uh, the other Gospels tell us that the disciples were with Him as well. The point is that Jesus is trying to get away from the masses, from the crowd, from the every man. He, he needs some time with just His, his people, the disciples. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us why Jesus wants to withdraw and why he wants to be alone. We'll read it between the lines a little bit. Perhaps we can't say anything dogmatically, but perhaps, perhaps Jesus wants to be alone so that he can mourn the loss of his cousin, his friend, John. Perhaps he wants time alone to think, to grieve, to process, to pray to talk with His disciples. I know when I first heard about my sister's death last Sunday, or two Sundays ago actually, I, I didn't feel like I could really get my bearings until I could have some time alone to think, to pray, to write. Maybe you've had a similar experience. Something painful in your life a death, painful relationship, lost job, slander, some sort of frustration at work, some really painful moment in your life in which you, you need some time to withdraw. Maybe it's time alone to pray. Maybe it's time to grieve. Maybe you just need to think. Maybe you're a verbal processor and you just got to get on the phone with your best friend or talk to your spouse and you just need that time. Maybe you, you need to move and you need to go out for a walk or a run or get out in the woods in a deer stand. You got to do something just to, to kind of unpack, to withdraw. Even though God is never inconvenienced, Jesus in human flesh is for the first time experiencing the reality of inconvenience. 
that you can want something and it not work out exactly the way you want. Much like some of the young moms here in this room, perhaps you feel like you can never get a moment of peace and quiet by yourself. It's kind of what happens with Jesus in this story. Look at verse 13 in the middle of the verse. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. So here's the story. Jesus hears about John's death. He gets in a boat with his disciples. We're going to go over to this desolate place near the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But by the time he gets there, there's already a crowd of people waiting for him. Maybe you wonder, how, how is that possible? Well, Galilee is a relatively small lake. It's 14 miles long and 7 miles wide. Just to give you an, a comparison, uh, the smallest of the Great Lakes, Lake Ontario, is 193 miles long and 53 miles wide. The, the geography around the Sea of Galilee is, is like a bowl, so it's quite possible to stand near the shore and see a boat and see where it's headed. And so somebody sees Jesus on a boat with His disciples crossing to a desolate place, and they say, I want to go where He's going. And they rummage up a crowd, and before you know it, there's this massive crowd of people, so that by the time Jesus gets to the place where He wants to be alone with His disciples, there's a crowd of people, needy people. Jesus is being inconvenienced, humanly speaking. I wonder what you would do in that moment. If you imagine some experience where you just needed some time to be alone, to process, to pray, to think, to write, and you get to that place, and there are thousands of the neediest people you've ever seen in your life waiting for you what would you do? Would you yell at them, go away, leave me alone. I don't want you here. I don't have time for you. Would you grab the oars of the boat and start going backwards? The Bible tells us what Jesus did. Look at verse 14. And He had compassion on them and healed their sick. What does Jesus do? He shows compassion even when it's humanly inconvenient. One writer says about that word compassion, it denotes more than a passing pity. It refers to a depth of feeling in which your feelings and longings churn within you. This is soul-stirring, stomach-churning, heart-wrenching, body-aching compassion. This is the type of compassion, if we're honest, most of us have probably only felt a few times in our life, maybe with it son or a daughter or a spouse in incredible anguish, and we see them in our heart absolutely aches with compassion for them. Jesus, in His moment, desiring a withdrawal with His disciples, in His moment for Himself, if you will, in His me time, He sees this crowd. And his heart aches with compassion. And he moves to meet their need. He does not merely feel compassion and say, oh my goodness, I wish I could do something. He feels compassion and then he shows compassion by moving towards those in need and meeting their needs. That's what Jesus felt and did as his grief and solitude was inconveniently interrupted by thousands of needy people. Now, if that's true, and it is, there are incredible implications for you and me here today. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, 
Let me encourage you. There is never a bad time to come to Jesus. There is never a bad time to come to Jesus. You will not find him on a bad day. You won't find him in a bad mood. You won't find him busy or occupied elsewhere. You cannot invent a moment where Jesus cannot invite you happily, heartily, welcome you to himself, to receive himself. There is never a bad moment to come to Jesus. Let me suggest to you, unbelieving friend, the deeper, the darker your sin, the stronger your need, the greater his compassion flows. Jesus moves towards you in your sin and in your need, and He overflows with compassion for you. Will you come to Him today? You will not find anyone like this anywhere. Let me say also to the Christians in the room, there is never a bad time to come to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus and you feel distant from Him today, it is not because He has pushed Himself away from you. You might have wandered from Him, but He has not wandered from you. What you need, dear Christian, is to come to Jesus. And let me assure you, dear Christian, that there is never a bad time to come to Jesus. No matter how far you have roamed and wandered, there is never a bad time to return to Jesus. Think about this for a second. This is the compassion that Jesus shows to unbelieving strangers. How much more does his heart ache for you, his people? A week ago yesterday, I was standing at the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Amory, Mississippi, preaching the funeral for my sister. And as I looked out in the crowd as I prepared to speak... I saw tears, a number of different people, particularly one lady over here in the right, just bawling tears, friend of my grandmother's, known her for many, many years, but never knew her really well. When I saw her tears, it didn't move me, not really might make me sound callous or hard, but I didn't, don't know her well. I know who she is, but her tears really didn't move me. And then I looked to the center, and I saw my brother. And I saw the tears streaming down his face. A brother who, to be honest, I didn't even know if he would shed a tear at that funeral. But he did. And my heart ached. Why? Because he's my brother. I love him. Did you know, Christian, that Jesus is your big brother? He's the firstborn. And you have been adopted into the family of God by our heavenly brother. What do you think your big brother feels when he sees your need, Christian? Do you think you could have a need that is too small for him to care about? Do you think you could have a need that he would say to you, you made your bed, now lie in it? Or would he extend the same compassion that he extended to that crowd, nay, much more compassion, would he not extend it to you, his people? Would the Father not receive you with loving arms? If you've wandered from him, Christian, there is never a bad time to come to Jesus. Never. One other implication for us as followers of Jesus this morning, if you're a Christian, 
If you've been loved like this, you should love like this. If you've been loved like this, you should love like this. It's not just a pithy saying, it's command. Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Notice a couple things in that verse. First of all, he tells you to put it on. You got to put on a compassionate heart. You're not just going to wake up and say, I'm feeling compassionate. Most of the time you're waking up and you're feeling not compassionate. And I dare you to come to me with your needs right now. I haven't had my coffee yet. The scripture says you have to put it on. There has to be like this, this conscience, like conscious, intentional, I'm going to choose to love like Jesus because I've been loved by Jesus. Moment. Put it on, he says. And notice he also says to do it because you've been loved like this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He says, listen, you've been chosen by Him. You've been set apart. That's what holy means. You've been set apart by Him. You're loved by Him. Because of that, put on compassionate hearts. And by compassionate hearts, he's telling us not merely to do kind things for people, but also to feel. Did you know, dear Christian, that Jesus commands us to feel certain things? I say, well, I just can't help how I feel. God can. Go to Him. So here's what Jesus in His Word is calling us to do, to be image bearers of the same love that we've received, to show that, to spotlight that to others. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Let me suggest a few simple ways that we might grow in this. First, we need to look. You really can't show compassion or feel compassion towards needs that you don't see, can you? If you don't know about a need, if you haven't seen it, you probably can't show compassion. So if you're in this room and you're tempted to kind of be like the ostrich and bury your head in the sand, I understand that impulse, I can relate to it, but that ought not to be the default mode of the Christian. And when it becomes our default mode, we ought to go to Jesus and say, help me. We have our eyes open to the needs around us. Maybe for some of us, this just means maybe we're looking less at other things. Maybe we need to look less at what's trending on social media or what's the breaking news on our favorite news station or looking less at whatever's trending on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever and we need to look more to what God is doing and what needs are occurring in the world around us. If I can just encourage you for a moment, church, you all have done this so well. Just in the last week with my family, I had a conversation with my father who was overwhelmed by all of the cards that he's received by Pocosin Baptist Church many people that he's never met. And you've shown love. Why? Because you looked and you saw a need. You saw a, a, a grieving father and mother. This is the type of thing that we must do. If we want to show compassion, we have to see that there are needs. We also have to listen. Often we don't know the needs around us because we don't stop to listen. Perhaps maybe for some of us, this means we learn to ask better questions. How are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? You don't seem well. How can I pray for you today? Maybe we, some of us, what we need to do is maybe talk a little bit less about ourselves. Maybe our instinct is to tell you something cool that happened in my life, but maybe we need to stop and think and ask, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? How can I serve you? We need to stop and listen. What 
is happening in the lives of the people around us. Perhaps even for some of us, a simple challenge might be to think of one person in your fellowship group or in a row near you that you can do that with this week. How are you doing really? And how can I serve you? And then a third simple thing, you can look and listen and then just simply act. I just encourage you, Christian, don't, don't underestimate the value of something as simple as an encouraging text message or a phone call or an email or a visit to someone's house to pray with them or a meal. All those little things, we've just been reminded how precious they are. How precious they are. So if we're going to love like this, we need to open up our eyes, we need to open up our ears, and we need to open up our hands and move towards those around us in need, following our master, King Jesus. Nothing can stop Jesus when He, shows, when he chooses to show compassion to the needy. We know because He shows compassion when it's humanly inconvenient, but also because He shows compassion, number two, when it's humanly impossible when it's humanly impossible. The other day, Holly was talking to our kids about being kind to each other. And one of them said, well, you can't expect me to be kind all the time. Uh, that's true, isn't it? I mean, our compassion has limits. Our sin stains our kindness. But it's not only that. Sometimes we encounter needs that are so great that they're humanly impossible to meet. That's the type of situation that Jesus is in here in the wilderness on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to Him and they said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I want you to think about what's been happening here. Jesus has been healing the sick all day. Now, Jesus certainly could look at a crowd and just go, voila, everybody who's sick is automatically healed. But He doesn't do that. You can't find a single instance where Jesus is kind of healing in mass. He tends to go individual by individual, touching their eyes, touching their skin, holding them, letting them touch His garment over and over. Jesus tends to prefer healing on the individual level. And if there's thousands of people here, perhaps all day He's been healing. He's also been teaching. And Luke's account of this story tells us that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom. So he's teaching, he's healing, mornings turn into afternoon, afternoons turn into night, it's getting dark, and one of the disciples says, Jesus, we got a problem. All these people, it's not enough food. We need to send them somewhere to find something to eat. We don't know for sure, but... If I was one of the disciples, I'd be telling Jesus that because I was hungry. You know, I'd be like, I mean, these guys are really hungry, Lord. They probably need something to eat. I mean, if we can get something too, that'd be great. It's been a long day. Probably, I'm sure, the disciples were hungry too. And it's time to kind of close up shop. It's like, Jesus, you've been showing compassion for a long time. I think your compassion limit is up. That's enough compassion for you today, Jesus. It's time to eat and go to bed. But Jesus' compassion is limitless. For all that they do understand, the disciples still don't understand a lot just yet. They see a problem that Jesus can't solve. If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, let me just encourage you. Before we're too hard on these disciples, just think about what you would have done in this situation. I've already told you what I would have done. I probably would have, probably by like mid-breakfast time, be like, Jesus, we got to eat, bro. Yeah, I'm hungry. At least they waited till about dinner time. These, I mean, think about what you would have done in that moment. Would you not have done the same thing? Where are we going to get food for all these people? I mean, even you tell me to be done at some point because you've got to eat lunch. These disciples, they're normal human sinners just like us. 
Before we're too hard on them, we ought to consider what we might have done in the same situation. We probably would have been just like them, going up to Jesus and telling Him what to do. You really need to send everybody away. Now, if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would imagine that at least once in your life, you've been hurt by a Christian. You've been in need, and a Christian did not show compassion to you. Perhaps there were some in the crowd that looked at Jesus' disciples and they said, man, they really aren't loving guys. Let me just plead with you, don't judge Jesus by the behavior of His disciples. Don't do that in this story. Don't do that today. I'll tell you one thing, Christians, we will admit to you that we fall far short of this standard. We are not here, despite what you might have heard or seen in the media or in a TV show, we are not here because we think that we've arrived, but because we know we haven't. But we know the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. We are not here standing on our own strength. We have not pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are here admitting our weakness, our sin, and our need, and crying out to our only hope. We invite you to join us. Don't look to us as saviors of the world, but to Jesus. Don't judge Jesus by the behavior of His disciples. Look at how Jesus responds. Verse 16 Jesus said, they need not go away. And one of my favorite lines in all the Bible, you give them something to eat. Maybe he just had a really big smile when he said that. <laughs> Some people are confused about what Jesus is saying here. You know, is, is Jesus asking them to do a miracle? Is, is he expecting them to miraculously feed the 5,000? I don't think that's what Jesus is expecting at all. In fact, John's gospel tells us that Jesus said these things in order to test His disciples. Here's what He's doing. He's testing them to see if they'll look to the only one who can show compassion in this impossible situation. He says, you give them something to eat, hoping that they'll assess the situation and say, Jesus, we can't. Will you help us? That's what he's trying to do. This is a humanly impossible situation, but Jesus is no mere human. He's the God-man. Look at verse 17 and 18. They said to Jesus, we have only five loaves here and two fish. Now, I think that's really funny because if I said to you, just about, let's just imagine PBC, and let's say that this sermon goes way longer than two points should, and we're here for a while, and at some point, somebody comes up and says, we need to feed these people, and so I just say, you give them something to eat, and someone comes up and says, I've got a tic-tac. Like, okay. I mean, that's, what, okay, what are you going to do with a tic-tac with this many people? Right? You're talking about thousands of people. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, but the final verse in our text, verse 21, tells us that those who ate were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. There's probably 25,000 people, give or take. And somebody says, we, we've got five loaves here and two fish. But Jesus says, bring them here to me. Here's something I want you to notice about this story and about Jesus. Jesus doesn't only show compassion to His people. Jesus also shows compassion through His people. That's an incredible truth. I want you to think about it for just a second. Jesus, here's what He could have done. Jesus could have been like, fish sandwiches for everybody, boom! And all of a sudden, everybody's got a Captain D's combo pack on their lap. He could have done that. He, he could have just been like, boom, and everybody just was full without eating anything. I mean, this is the God that created galaxies 
by speaking. He made all the fish. He made all the grain. He made the people that created bread. He did all of that. This would not have been hard for him, but Jesus chooses to use means, to use people, and to use what we bring. The Gospel of John tells us that the five uh, loaves and two fishes came from a young boy that was in the crowd. So if I, just for a second, all the kiddos in this room, will you look up at me for a second, all the kiddos in the room? Listen to me for a second. Listen, you are not too little for Jesus to use you. You're not too little. You're too little for a lot of things, maybe. Maybe you hear mom and dad saying a lot, you're too young, you need to go to bed, you can't watch that movie, you can't do this, you can't eat this, you're too little. You're too little for lots of things, and that's okay. You're not too little for Jesus to use you. This little boy brings some bread and fishes. We don't know where he got it. Maybe his mom packed him lunch. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us any of that. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is little is much in the hands of Jesus. Little person, little people in this room, God uses you. He can use you. He can do great things through you. Can I just say to everybody in this room, you can be too big and too strong for Jesus to use you, but you can't be too little or too weak for Jesus to use you. You can be too big and too strong. You think you've got it all together. Jesus doesn't have a lot of use for that. But the person that knows their weaknesses, the person that knows their, their failures, the person in this room that feels inept and incapable and overwhelmed and stressed and unable, Jesus says, I love using you. If you're in this room and you're a young person, you, you can be a follower of Jesus too. You are not too young to hear the good news of Jesus and believe it. I think because you're here, you've got mamas and dads that love you and want you to know the good news. So talk to your mom and dad today about following Jesus. And maybe there's not quite all the understanding that you need just yet, but that's okay. Keep coming, keep growing, keep learning. But you're not too little for Jesus to use you. Jesus doesn't just show compassion to His people. He shows compassion through His people. But He does that with more than just the little boy's happy meal. He also shows His compassion through all of His disciples. Look at verse 19. Then He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and He said a blessing. Then He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Now, I want you to think for a second about what's happening here. Jesus is feeding 20,000 plus people with fish that never swam. These aren't lab-grown fish either. That's a thing now, apparently. These are fish created out of thin air. They never swam, and people are eating them for lunch. He's feeding 20,000 plus people with bread that's never been baked. It's just there. It's incredible. Now, if Jesus can do that, think about what else he could have done. Jesus could have gone, go, go, gadget arms, and thousands of arms gone out and fed everybody. Jesus could have been like Nightcrawler or Dr. Fate and just teleported to every single family and gave them food. He could have run like the Flash. And just everything, you know, in just a few seconds, everybody's got lunch. He could have self-replicated like baby Jack-Jack in The Incredibles. And all of a sudden, there's, there's thousands of Jesuses. They all have lunch. Boom, back to one. He could have done any of that. But he didn't. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't hand a single loaf or a single piece of fish to anybody in that crowd. Do you know who did? His disciples. 
Why? I think that there's a lesson for us there. Jesus alone is sufficient to meet every one of your needs. Yet Jesus chooses to meet your needs through his people. Jesus loves doing things through the hands and feet of his people. I encourage you again, church, that's exactly what Jesus has done in our lives over the last week through you. Jesus could have, from heaven, just thrown down a comfort bolt. Boom, comforted. Hobson and his family are better. That's not what he did. He used you. He used you. Isn't that just like our Jesus? He doesn't merely show compassion to his people. He invites you in and he says, come with me, join me in this and let me use you to be an extension of my compassion. What an incredible thing. Don't you want in on that? If you're a follower of Jesus, don't you want to be used by Jesus that way? I do. So encourages so many of you are being used by Jesus that way. I'm going to ask you, dear Christian, what needs exist in your world that God intends to meet through you? What baskets of fishes and loaves would God have you distribute to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to your neighbors? Maybe for you... Your hang-up is, well, if I go out and do that, if I'm out meeting everybody else's needs, is there going to be anything left over for me? I mean, am I going to be taken care of? If If I'm out taking care of everybody else, how am I going to be taken care of? Look at the text, verse 20. And they all, that's referring to the entire crowd, 20,000 plus, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Anybody know why there were 12 baskets? Why not 11 or 10? We got one that knows over there. 12 baskets for who? 12 who? Disciples. Do do, do you notice what Jesus is saying here through his word? His provision is so lavish that even the leftover scraps of his provision are enough to meet all the needs of all his people and have extra for leftovers. That's incredibly good news. Here's what this means, Christian. You cannot show mercy to the point that you fall off the limb and are no longer able to receive the care of King Jesus. You can't do it. I used to hear preachers growing up saying things like, you cannot outgive God. Sometimes that can be used to manipulate people to give more money to some sort of building fund or whatever. That's not what I mean here. I'm just saying, you can't, Christian, you can't get to the point where you've expended so much of yourself that Jesus can't meet your needs. He's got leftovers for you, Christian. He is so generous and so good. So let me just challenge you, Christian, maybe especially an on-the-fence Christian. Give, serve, love, show compassion, extend yourself even beyond maybe you feel like you can, and watch Jesus lavishly meet your needs. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is just how Jesus cares for His people. Nothing can, show, can stop Jesus when He chooses to show compassion to the needy. When it's humanly inconvenient, Jesus shows compassion. When it's humanly impossible, Jesus still shows compassion. Let me just end by saying knowing this about Jesus isn't enough. Our story concludes with an abrupt ending. If you look at verse 21... And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's interesting because in a lot of other stories, when there's miracles like this, the story will end and it'll say, like, they marveled at Jesus' power. 
They, they, were, they praised God that He was working in their midst. They were overwhelmed and overjoyed at what He had done. But this story doesn't end like that. Just kind of like it's over. Everybody ate. They were filled. Nobody's praising Jesus for His greatness. Nobody's worshiping Him. Nobody's thanking Him. Might seem like an abrupt ending. Well, John's account of this story tells us why. In John chapter 6, we learned that after Jesus feeds the 5,000, this massive crowd of people, they try to grab Jesus and make him be an earthly king by force. At the end of this story, they're rejecting Jesus. The next morning, some of them say, where's breakfast? I mean, Moses fed us in the wilderness for 40 years with manna from heaven. Jesus says, it wasn't Moses, it was my father, first of all. Second of all, I'm not here to be a fast food service for you. I'm the bread of life. And by the end of that discourse, many people are leaving Jesus. People that were fed by Him, healed by Him. People that received His blessing and mercy and compassion rejected Him. Did you know, dear friend, it's possible to experience the compassion of Jesus firsthand and still be separated from Him for eternity in hell. That's a terrifying thought. These Men and women, most of them in the crowd are like the rocky soil that you learned about a few weeks ago. They initially received Jesus with gladness, but shortly afterward, they fell away. It's not enough to hear this story or to experience Jesus' compassion in the day-to-day things of life like bread and fish. What we need to do is run to the cross. We need to be people that run to the cross There, Jesus showed compassion when it was humanly inconvenient, didn't he? Flogging, nails in his hand and feet, spear in his side, crown of thorns on his head. There's nothing more humanly inconvenient than that. And yet Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross for you. Jesus there showed compassion when it was humanly impossible, when it required a a sinless substitute to bear the wrath of God in our place. Jesus did not shirk from that. And so ultimately, Christian, we find our hope not on a hill where people are getting fish and bread, but on a hill where the bread of life is dying in the place of His sinful people. That's where our hope is found. And a Jesus who loves us with unbridled compassion. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for 